Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We taped Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Today, we're joined by Notre Dame football coach Louis Cook Jr. and Galen White, the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Coach of a Lifetime, the story of Louis Cook Jr., legendary high school football coach. Coach Cook is renowned for being one of the best high school football coaches and for his winning teams. He's been inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame and the Louisiana High School Sports Hall of Fame. In 2019, the New Orleans Saints honored him as their high school coach of the year. But getting to the top of his field has involved staying true to the three F's, faith, family, and football, in that order. I met Galen a few years back when he released a book entitled The Best Little Baseball Town in the World, which highlighted Crowley, Louisiana, and the Evangeline Baseball League. I have to say it's an honor to be here with both of you gentlemen and to hear your story up close, Louie. Thank you for joining us on Discover Lafayette. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. So Galen, before we start, I want to thank Jason Sikora for taping our show today and for opening up Raider Studios. Last time we met, we were taping at my house in the study, and the dog probably drove you nuts. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't recall that. Well, it's good to see you both. Let's talk about how you found out about a man who's legendary to us, but you don't live here, and you knew about this special story from Crowley, Louisiana. I live in Tennessee, and what brought me to southwest Louisiana was the book on the Crowley Millers in the 1950s, the best little baseball town in the world. In promoting that book, um, that's how we met. But prior to that, I wanted uh, an endorsement for the book from Ron Guidry, probably the best-known baseball player uh, from this area, uh, called Gator. Mm-hmm. And he lives over here in Scott. He's um, not one to— freely give out uh, information on where he is, who he is, or, or, or endorsements. Coach Cook played baseball with Ron Guidry his freshman year at USL. And also, uh, Ron Guidry's accountant was best friends with Coach Cook. His name is Ron Prejean. And so, Prejean. Yeah, so those two, <laughs> yeah, I'm from the north, so I don't I pronounce it right. <laughs> no, you're doing fine. But uh, so that's how I met Coach Cook. Mm-hmm. I was on the phone with him one day. And when he was telling me how he would help me with Ron Guidry, I hung up, went in, and decided, well, I'm going to Google Coach Cook. That's when I read all these things that he's done in his career. I called him right back. I said, Coach Cook, will you do a blurb for the book? So there's a blurb that he does also on uh, the best little baseball town in the world. So that's how we met. Mm -hmm. Then later on, uh, I had no idea when we did the interview— two years ago in two, uh, 2021, uh, I didn't think I'd be doing a book on Coach Cook. I thought when I was finished promoting this book, I was back to Tennessee to stay. In mm-hmm. fact, I thought it was going to be my last book. Turned out, I met Coach Cook, spent a little more time with him. He came to a book signing, signed this one book that Guidry had already signed. I wanted him to sign. 
and he starts telling stories about Orlando Thomas, who played at USL, mm-hmm. Jake DeHolm, uh, uh, Brandon Stokely, all these players he coached in the two uh, four-year stints he had as an assistant coach here. And that just led me asking to the question, have you ever thought about doing a book? Mm-hmm. And he indicated he had, and here we are. And here we are. Yeah. So, Louie, if I may call you that, sure. I know you're a lifelong ball player yourself. You've always loved the sport, but what an honor to let you like talk about with, with your humbleness. If people could see him here, I mean, I know this. Maybe you're used to people telling your story, yeah. but you're very humble in your demeanor. But yet, you have given your life to not only coaching football yeah. but building young players into men sure. and to respecting life and others. And um, yeah. if you can talk about right. you know how yeah. you got into all yeah. this. Well, you know, I've been blessed that I've had the opportunity to be at it for this long. If the good Lord gets me to August, we'll start year number 50 as a coach. <laughs> it's so kind of hot. <laughs> be 50 years, yeah. But, uh, no, you know, something that uh, I can remember as far back as uh, elementary school, 6th, 7th grade, uh, wanting, to, wanting to be a coach. Uh, I actually majored in accounting for three semesters because so, my dad thought it would be best. He, he knew that— uh, coaching was a tough, mm-hmm. a tough way to go. I remember one time him telling me, he said, you know, you can't ever win. I said, well, what you mean? If you score more points, you he said, no, he says, if you, if you, you win, people will say you should have won by more or you should have played this kid more or that. And mm-hmm. he, you know, he saw just that side of mm-hmm. it. And it's, it goes way, way beyond that with, uh, you know, being able to, uh, work with all these kids. And Galen asked me the question, when we first started, the first day we ever talked about the book, and he said, Coach Wood, you're almost 50 years doing this. What? And I said, well, what other profession is there where you get to work with all these young men that mm-hmm. go into every walk of life? I mean, I have uh, ranking officers in the military that I've coached, uh, you know, accountants, uh, teachers, uh, guys that are running uh, all field service companies or own their own service companies. Mm-hmm. And now I've, I've, ha- I've coached four kids that are now priests. Uh, you know, in the 26 years I've been at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. we've had them come out and yeah. be ordained. And, and so that, you know, that, that's, that's special that you have mm-hmm. a chance to, you know, to be able to deal with all of this. Uh-huh. And when Galen asked about the book, uh, uh, you know, have you ever thought of, well, there was a, a gentleman that had, had asked me about doing one. And at Notre Dame, I, I had a secretary, uh, Karen Birkin. Her son played for us, and she was with me for 20 years. And we we tell talk, you know, she names would come up, and like, coach, how you know this? Mm-hmm. And I tell her stories, and she coach, you need to do that in a book. <laughs> and I never really thought about it till this gentleman had asked me. Mm-hmm. But as Galen said, he he dropped the project uh, yeah. shortly after, and then Galen came along and and mentioned talked about it. it and uh, it just it just went mm-hmm. from there. So, uh, but it seems like it was driven by God. Well, the timing. You know, Galen said that the yeah. first day. Well, mm-hmm. He says, "I think God has put us together." You I know? think and, so too. And as and as things went on, how things fell into place, you, you would you'd kind of think that because mm-hmm. it was kind of as he talked about Orlando's wife. Even after I told him some stories about Orlando, and he he said, "I really like to meet his wife," and I'm like. Again, I, she's not from here. You see, she she moved back down with Orlando. 
I hadn't seen her uh, only once. I'd seen her since Orlando's funeral. I said, I don't even know if she's still down here. Mm. When two days later, Robert gets the text from her about a car. And uh, in the the text, she she mentioned, I want to thank Coach Cook for everything he did Mm -hmm. for my husband. And if there's a way, she put it this way. She said, if you know of another way we can honor or bless Coach Cook, let me know. And I told Robert, I said, text her back and tell her. Galen wants to interview her because uh, he's doing a chapter on Orlando. And so that that was within two right. days after right. Galen had wanted to meet us. So it was funny how things just kind of fell into the place. The timing. So I'm curious as a young coach, you said you always wanted to be a coach. Was faith always at the forefront? Was that from your family? I know Galen touches on a lot of that in the book. Was that always at the forefront, or were you, as a young coach, just trying to win? Well, you know, I mean, it was always important to me, uh, and I'm not sure. I I guess it had to be instilled from home because, you know, I I have now that I'm obviously much older and I have a lot of young coaches— come and ask me questions or about more, it's more, not so much X's and O's anymore, but dealing with the kids and mm-hmm. the policies that you set up. And, and uh, yeah, you know, it's always, it, it, there was always a part about winning, but for some reason or other, it was instilled that not, don't, don't try to win at all costs. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and from way back when I've, I've held kids out of games that I didn't think deserved to play where I know some coaches, uh, you know, they're they're gonna play them because they feel they need them to win right. sometimes. So, so that that was a big part of it, and, and uh, just to, you know to trust mm-hmm. the process, mm-hmm. you know, that's there. And uh, you know, I, uh, I mean, there there are several stories that have happened along the way that faith has come into it, or yeah. you know, pre, you know, uh, wanting to uh, have things go a, a certain way, you know. Uh, Family, uh, I kind of, a lot of people struggle with, you know, what's their purpose in life or what job should they do? And I feel like, you know, the good Lord put me here because, uh, like I said, if I could stay healthy. But in 49 years of coaching, I've missed one practice. What? One practice. And, and the one practice that I missed was in 77 when my wife and I, it was my first year as head coach. My wife and I had a doctor's appointment with, with Dr. Zender and Pelcher here in Lafayette uh-huh, yeah. because we weren't having success in having a baby. Oh, and, uh, that so, was an important appointment. So we made that appointment. <laughs> it was on the Monday afternoon in November, I can remember, and I wasn't able to be at practice. Mm-hmm. So I figured a good Lord said, Cook, you're going to be a coach, and I'm going to make sure you're there every day because my boys were born, my three sons were born out of season. <laughs> you know, I, I tell people I've been a pallbearer and quite a few funerals. None of them were during the football se- season. So, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, right. I, I, it probably sounds corny, but, it, no. you know, I think there is some faith to, right. to some of that, you know. so. And Galen, in the foreword, I'm thinking about some of the well-known coaches that helped you with this book, a lead-in, you know, by Brian Kelly at LSU, and in particular, um, Nick Saban, who's either beloved or hated, depending on who you ask. But Nick, in particular, said, you know, you both believe in the basics, execution, but not this fancy stuff, just sticking with the basics and making the boys know that this is how we play the game, and not necessarily just letting people play because they're good. They have to follow 
what the coaches are telling them to do. So how did you get all those people, Galen, to um, give those endorsements? Well, altogether, we interviewed over 118 people for the book. Uh, The fellow who had started the project earlier had interviewed Nick Saban, and he agreed to go back to Coach Saban, uh, tell him what was being done. Uh, I had taken a rather extensive interview, had prepared something for him to review, which he did. Also, Coach uh, Saban had written a letter to uh, Coach Cook on his induction to the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. and he wrote this, You're one in a million. They broke the mold when they made Coach Louis Cook. Not only are you a master of X's and O's, but more importantly, you've been a great mentor mentor and teacher of life skills. And so uh, that in itself— coming from someone like Nick Saban. Right. And by the way, I want to point out, when he signed off on the forward that's in the book, it was right after LSU beat <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> that must have been a tough one. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm even more honored mm-hmm. uh, to have that forward in the book because yeah. of the timing when he approved it. Mm-hmm. But the, the, uh, Coach Kelly had not met Coach Cook until he came down to LSU. And uh, Coach Cook wound up being over there. They met with each other right after that. We asked him to do a blurb for the book. And he wrote in his his own handwriting the, the blurb as we have printed uh, in the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, the head coach for the Houston Texans, I think, David Cullen. David Cully. Uh, David Cully. He wrote a, a wonderful mm-hmm. uh, uh, blurb for the book. So. Jake Delhomme, who played in the Super Bowl, took the Carolina Panthers to the first Super Bowl, played at USL, and then went on to excel in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And Brandon Stokely, who has two Super Bowl rings uh, and has a talk show now in in Denver. They they, uh, very graciously and and willingly uh, contributed to the book. So it wasn't hard to get people to talk about Coach Cook. It was harder to get Coach Cook to talk about Coach Cook. Yeah. Well, Coach Cook, I do have a question. So you've focused most of your career on the high school level. And as we're talking about, you did coach at USL, 81 to 84, and you had some star players, obviously. Right. But your heart is at the high school level. Right. Can you can you talk about that, the young man that you meet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually had two four-year stints. Uh, okay. Sam Roberts and Sam came to coach yeah. at UL, and I'd gotten to know him when he was an assistant at USL. Okay. And then he offered me a job in '81, which was, a, you know, a really a blessing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of—I didn't have many goals coming out, but you know, wanted to be a head coach. Obviously, you want to win a state championship, and and then I was hoping one day to get to coaching college. Well, S- Coach Sam gave me that opportunity, mm-hmm. and I stayed four years, and then I could kind of see the handwriting on the wall as to things may change. And in college, usually when the head coach changes, they bring in their whole staff. So uh, we built a home in Rain in 1979, my wife and I, when I was head coach at Rain. And uh, I've had these several different jobs, and we're still in the same house. Mm-hmm. People kind of pick at me about that. But uh, so, so I went on back to, to – I took the job at Crowley High School. Of course, we all – everyone thought I was losing my mind, including me, because <laughs> I'm going from a full-time college football coach to take a high school job with a school that had lost 21 straight football games. Crowley had an 83 and 84, were 0 and 10, 0 and 10. The Jets. So, but but I live in rain, uh-huh. and it's, you know, about 10 miles to school, and I didn't want to move, and uh, my dad was ill, and, you know, to have to move away from town, I didn't want to. So I took the job, and uh, Galen will tell you, he kind of 
based the book on uh, with me. He, he thought that's uh, the birth of a legend is the first chapter. And thought it started there at Crowley. But, uh, but I ended up going back to USL with Nelson Stokely. He offered me a chance in 92 to go back, and that's when we were able to mm-hmm. sign Jake, and mm-hmm. Brandon came along. Orlando was already there. I'd coached Orlando at Crowley High School. And when I got back to USL, he still had three years left, so we had mm-hmm. quite a few years together. But, you know, I'll, both times I always felt I was going to go back to high school. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I had an opportunity. I had a call from uh, – uh, about going to Tulane and coach. But I was offered the offensive coordinator's job at McNeese in 1990. Uh, I got a call from Texas A&M when Steve Ensminger, yeah. who uh, I Steve. knew Steve, yeah. went as offensive coordinator at A&M, mm-hmm. and he was asked, you know, we need a receiver coach. Who would you recommend? We, my name came up. and But I just, you know, I just never just didn't want to move and felt, I just felt more comfortable in high mm-hmm. school. And as Talking about Coach Saban, you know, he and I talked quite a bit about. It. He told me straight up one day. He said, you know, he 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 would he didn't enjoy his spent his his first stint in the NFL, and that was before he went to Miami, which he didn't. We knew that didn't work out either. And in fact, when he took the job at Alabama, uh, just a day or two after he had the job, he came into North Louisiana to recruit, and he called me, and uh, you know, we we talked, and I said, well. Coach, I'm glad you're back in college. I think he said, oh, no, I think so, too. And, mm-hmm. of course, he's still there, you yeah. know. So I, I think that's kind of was my place where he feels mm-hmm. maybe college instead of pros was his place. Yeah. And so, and I'm thankful uh, that it worked out because, you know, when Galen talked about doing the book, the, when we first talked to him, he said, he said, Coach, he said, you can find a book about a pro coach. You can find many books about college coaches. But he said the development comes in high school, and you mm-hmm. guys do that. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, I'm thankful to just be a part of that. Yeah. So what kind of stories rise to the surface for you, Galen, as you think about the book and the memories that you captured? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, and the giant in coaching for me growing up and also the man that my father admired deeply was John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach who won I believe it was 11 NCAA titles in his time at UCLA. And he had this thing called the Pyramid of Success. Uh, He was a great coach. Uh, I don't know that I idolize anyone, but he was at the top for me. I went to the University of Oklahoma. My freshman year was Bud Wilson, that great football coach there, whose team won 47 straight games, which is still the NCAA record for a consecutive win streak. Bud Wilkerson was similar to... to, uh, John Wooden. Both were God-centered men. Both were great coaches, uh, known for treating their players and coaches fairly. They were just quality men as well as great coaches. Those two were iconic in my mind. When I met Coach Cook, there was something about him. Uh, the first comparison was John Wooden. That's who came to mind. Uh, then, uh, more I got into and I thought, this is Bud Wilkinson. Uh, so, Then the question, why write about a high school football coach? My publisher told me straight out, Roman and Littlefield, which had done all five of my baseball books, and this was my first on football, but I had written extensively about football earlier on in my career. They told me, we've never done a book on a high school football coach. 
And I thought, well, this guy is no regular. <laughs> he, he could have been a great college coach. Mm-hmm. He could have been a great pro coach. His calling, and I use the word calling intentional, his calling was high school. And that is where he has had the greatest impact. And when you interview all the kids who played for him, uh, you find out how much of a giant that he is. And, and so the highlight of this book was mm-hmm. talking to his players, especially the black players who played for him at Crowley High. Mm-hmm. Um, they, Crowley had never won a state championship in football, and they haven't won one since, since he was there. And so in the seven years altogether that Coach Cook was at Crowley, he took them to the Superdome three times. Uh, and that, that, is, that was why I call that the birth of a legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach, uh, one of his uh, uh, favorite movies is uh, uh, the, what's the Man name? Who Shot, uh, Man who shot Liberty, Liberty Valance. Valance. Yeah, and there's I a great quote, on, quote in there, Coach. You, you know it off mm-hmm. the top of your yeah. head. Well, it says, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. <laughs> so we print the legend in the book. <laughs> what a great movie. Yeah. yeah. Is that your, your theme movie? Does that kind of represent? That's, that's one, yeah. yeah. One, one, uh, we, we, we laugh about uh-huh. it. And, uh, there's so many good lines. Yeah. Great lines in that movie. So, but uh-huh. yeah, again, be, having been a newspaper guy and, and writing sports and, you know, when we first talked about it, yeah, he he, he picked mm-hmm. up on that quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, who you got to like somebody who likes the man who shot Liberty Valance, the life and times of Judge Roy Bean. Yeah. He can quote <laughs> Judge Roy Bean, uh, Magnificent yeah. Seven. Uh, oh my gosh! Oh, Sounds yeah. like my house. My husband yeah. is. Yeah. And then can the, watch those over and over. A Bronx Tale, mm-hmm. and then you know, here's the other thing: um, he videotapes on Friday nights when Notre Dame plays their games. It happens to coincide when Blue Bloods is on at 9 o'clock. Oh, yeah. All right? Yep. That's his favorite show. So he <laughs> videotapes it, and he goes home, and he watches it. Now, he can quote uh, uh, Frank Reagan, uh, played by Tom Selleck, New York City commissioner. And one of his lines that he, ha- that he likes to quote is, we do what we can with what we have with where we are. <laughs> and that's Coach Cook. I mean, Any given time. he takes the kids out of Acadia Parish. Mm-hmm. And one quote, one of my favorite quotes about him is, he takes sons— a crawfish and rice farmers, and turns them into very good athletes and outstanding people. Mm-hmm. And so he takes what he has, what the good Lord put right there in Acadia Parish. Mm-hmm. He doesn't recruit. He could recruit, but he doesn't. And and he he is um, he doesn't like to even play other schools from Acadia Parish because he wants them all to win. He doesn't want. Some of the rivalry and some of the yeah. negative things can come out. A lot of times uh, happens mm-hmm. in a, a crosstown rivalry. So uh, there was just something about Coach Cook, and then mm-hmm. the kind of the the clincher uh, was this gentleman named Julius Scott. He was a coach. He actually coached Johnny Manziel, who was a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, got in a little trouble later on, but he coached him in in uh, at Texas at, at the high school level, and. Uh, Julia Scott wound up interviewing coaches from all over about what it is to be a successful coach. And this quote here kind of clinched the deal for me, why I should write about Coach Cook. He says, you read about Mother Teresa of Calcutta. They say that when you talked with her, she looked at you like you were the only human being in the world. When you're with Coach Cook, he treats you as if you're important. He treats you like you're the only person in the room. During the course of this book, I want to tell this story because it's very important. 
My wife uh, was diagnosed with breast, breast cancer. And uh, Coach Cook was on the phone. A couple days each week checking on her. Now, where else can you find a coach, high school, pro, or college in America who would take that kind of interest in, in a woman that he had never met? He never met my wife. So why write about a high school football coach? You're looking at him right here right. because that's Coach Cook. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your years. You know, we're talking about the legend. Have the young men changed much from 50 years ago? The, the um, you know, times have changed, but have, have people changed? You know, I, I think basically no uh, uh, as far as, uh, you know, them wanting to be able to play and give up themselves. I mean, obviously the times have changed and social media has really changed everybody's life, you know, to a great extent. But, you know, where I am, I, I don't know if it, if I'm just fortunate to be at the right place at, at this particular time, but we, we still have, you know, a lot of kids that are interested in playing. And, and when people say, oh, these kids don't want to work nowadays, you know, two weeks ago on June the 5th was our first summer workout at Notre Dame. And we, we start at 5.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. We go three days a week. And I walked into – now, we have 160 boys total in high school at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the gym at 5.30 to start the workout, and there were 73 boys in the gym at 5.30. And then at 6 o'clock, when our freshmen, the incoming freshmen, and some of the older guys that are waiting come at 6, they may not have, have to go to work at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. We basically start at 5.30. We have quite a few kids that'll work, do summer jobs. At six o'clock, when when everyone was there, it was 121 boys wow. out of 160 in the school there to work out uh-huh. at early mornings. And we've averaged between 110 and 115 for seven days now, you know. So they, they're still willing to work now, you know, or, or they, uh, I think now that. You know, we're not outdoors as much anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they're, it's too they hot. Don't, I, the one thing that I, I think is a little bit different is they don't quite understand the game as well because uh, they're more in tune to, to being on their phone instead of just watching games. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, back you know years ago, there wasn't a whole lot else you could watch, you know. Yeah. And, but but I still think that they're, they're still there and they're, they're still willing. If you can— if you can provide them, I think now you got to kind of make it more enticing to them because mm-hmm. there's so many other things that they can do. But we we have a lot of that are still playing, so it's hard for mm-hmm. me to say that it's changed uh, that they've changed a lot. I think parents have changed more than the kids. I know just me personally, I I do more for my boys than what my dad did for me. But I appreciate what my dad did. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up, it makes you grow up, I think, a little bit faster. I think one thing, I think our kids are a little more immature as they get into high school than they were maybe 20 years ago. Well, we were working and holding jobs, you know. So Notre Dame is a Catholic private school, so you can pray before the games, unlike some other schools. Um, That's got to be grounding before you start. that, that was— you know, being a Catholic, and and I, I never I remember when I was at USL and I was recruiting, and I was at St. Thomas More on a on a Friday, a game day, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking they went into the uh, chapel towards the end of the school day, 
And I remember thinking to myself, I think it would be kind of nice to end my career in a Catholic school, along with the fact that I'd been in public school so I could take my public retirement as mm-hmm. well and then have another. So that was part of it, too. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I didn't think I'd be there 26 years. Right. <laughs> but uh, going on 27. But, yeah, you know, that— for you know, for in South Louisiana where we have a strong Catholic mm-hmm. uh, set up, uh, yeah. I, you know, I think it's pretty good that we have that opportunity to do that. So I know you had thought about retiring, but are you now just like taking it a year at a time? It's a year at a time. Uh-huh. Now. Yeah, as long why as you know, would you? My retire? wife can stay healthy, and, yeah. and I stay healthy. Uh, my oldest son Lou, Lou's been with me now, going on about twenty years, uh, coaching with me. Wow. My youngest son Stu is. Uh, coaching at Iowa High School, you know, mm-hmm. down in Calcasieu Parish, trying to get him to come back so so I, so I this old man can back out of there a little bit. But uh, so, you know, so I have my two boys there. I have a, I have a, a good staff. Uh, Jimmy McClure is a young man that came to help me as a student coach at USL and came to the only place he's ever coached has been Notre Dame. He's been with me 25 years mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. Got good help. That, that, that plays a lot. And like I said— if I'd have walked into that gym at 5.30 in the morning, there would have been 10, 12 kids. It's like, you know, maybe it's not time to do this anymore. Right. But they drive you. You know, right. they 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 make they keep me going. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how it goes from there. <laughs> I have a question about how the players are whittled down. Do they just kind of drop, or do you you have to make some tough choices? It doesn't cut. So he, they can no, all he, be on the he bench? He doesn't have tryouts if they can survive <laughs> the morning workouts and just what's expected of them. Um, they're on the team. I, I was just looking at this number here. In the 2022-23 school year, there were 166 boys in the school. 117, or 70.5%, were on the football team. And it's like this mm-hmm. Julius Scott who yeah. had researched all these uh, coaches. He said, get them out, get them involved. That's what Coach Cook is doing. He has created an environment in Notre Dame that should be emulated all over every community mm-hmm. and every school. It's involvement. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was a, a, a priest that I interviewed, Father Nick Ware, and he had been around before he was a player. He was a, like a, a ball boy. And he made a quote. He said, you know, at a very young age, you want to be connected to something. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the winning tradition there, all these kids in the Acadia Parish want to be connected to that winning tradition. Right. And so the sense of belonging, I think, is very important. I don't know how many other places you could do what Coach Cook has done in Acadia Parish. So I think there certainly needs to be recognition given to the families and, and the people in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has, he has turned that area into what really is a model, uh, what, what others should be doing around the country. And there was another thing. Uh, he was, mentioned his son, Stu who's an assistant coach at, uh, at, at Iowa High School. Well, when Stu was thinking about going into coaching, coach took him to see Orlando Thomas, who was near the end of life with uh, battling Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, Stu was thinking of his options in life. He hadn't decided on coaching. And coach showed him all the letters and things that he had received over the years from former players. And then this statement he made to Stu Nobody is going to know what years we won championships. They're not going to know how many games we won, but they are going to know how we made them feel. 
Mm-hmm. And Orlando Thomas knew how Coach Cook made him feel, and that's why he gave him right. this statuette, mm-hmm. Coach of a Lifetime. When the Coach wouldn't allow him to give anything else, Orlando slipped this in on him. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's and then Coach of a Lifetime was uh, it really tells the story of Coach Cook. How many former players would consider their high school coach the coach of a lifetime, particularly one yeah. who went on to star in the NFL? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking the kids that aren't on the team are probably in the band. Somebody's got to play the music, right? Um, we actually don't have a band. <laughs> oh, you don't? Day. We wish we did, but we don't. You know, I'm thinking uh, those other 40 kids yeah. maybe could be fit in <laughs> well, there. Yeah, there are some that you know uh, are in other sports, mm-hmm. too. You know, We yeah. have some that just do baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, we, we probably about 85% of the boys are doing something, you know, right. at school, you know, and uh, so, but it, it's, Notre Dame's a little unique uh, because of, if, if you go back in 67 when they consolidated St. Joe of Rain, St. Michael's of Crowley, and St. Francis to make Notre Dame of Acadia Parish, if you take that roster in 67 and you take the roster of today, there's, there's still a lot of you know, it was Tommy Casanova's on yeah. that 67 roster. I wondered about that, The Jackie. only three-time yeah. All-American in yeah. LSU. Mm-hmm. I have two Casanova's on the team right now. You do? <laughs> yeah, that are great nephews of Tommy, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the the German names, the Leonard's, mm-hmm. the Zahnbreakers, the Henskins, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, those types, they're, they're all still uh-huh. there. I mean, we're on third, and I'm, uh, I've been there so long now, I'm actually coaching kids of some of the guys I coached in 97, 98, 2000, you know, in my earlier years there. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's, you know, there's not a lot of schools have that, you know, that mm-hmm. it just stays uh, in the same families. I have a question when we're talking about Orlando Thomas and ALS. I guess the equipment, the protective equipment has changed and the game has changed over the years, you know, to deal with the heavy blows that the right. players get. Do you think that was, was that? Uh, yeah, a, I mean, it, it, Part of what it, happened to him? It's probably probably had a little something to do mm-hmm. with it. Orlando was was a very physical player. He uh you know, he played with with just a ferocious attitude. And the funny thing about people people don't know, Orlando Thomas didn't weigh a hundred pounds when he came to high school. He was ninety eight pounds in the ninth grade of high school. He was thirteen years old. He started school as a five year old mm-hmm. and played played seven games of his senior year as a 16-year-old senior. So he was still maturing and still growing. And uh, you could see he kept, continued to get better and better every year. But he put licks on people that, and that was, well, was so sad. I'm, I'm visiting him one day at his house. He's, he's late. He, he can't move a muscle. He's, he still, you know, could speak. And uh, he hadn't got to that, uh, progress quite that far yet. But I'm watching a highlight film of him of the, playing with the Minnesota Vikings and he was all pro and, yeah. and making these licks. And I'm like, I'm watching this guy and, and now he can't move a muscle. You know, it just, it's so sad. It but uh, yeah, and, and, they, and they're trying to take steps now uh, to eliminate all of those licks that were knocking people mm-hmm. out, you know, and yeah. now it's a penalty and it has changed the game. And Some people uh, are, are, you know, saying that it, it's changing, but, but, you know, we're just getting smarter, you know, realizing that yeah. you can still play the game without crippling everybody. Right, right. Well, I want to know where we can find your book. It comes out in September, right, Galen? The book can be pre-ordered in advance of the September release. You can pre-order it at Barnes & Noble, 
uh, Amazon.com. Uh, I have a website, Galen, G-A-Y-L-O-N, white.com. Uh, on the homepage there, there's instructions as to how you can get it from the publisher, Roman, R-O-W-M-A-N, and Littlefield. I believe it's www.roman.com. Uh, so you can pre-order it. Uh, come September, we'll be doing uh, various book signings in the area, speaking engagements. Uh, mm-hmm. That way you can get Coach Cook to personalize a book for you. Good. Uh, so, no, we're looking forward to it. It's mm-hmm. um, we, we talked about what we wanted this book to be. We want it to be an inspirational book. I happen to believe that it will be uh, a success nationally. We're going to be promoting it nationally. Uh, I think it can be inspiring to young men like uh, Coach's son, Stu, who, when he was thinking about coaching, this helped him. Uh, what his dad said to him helped him to decide on that. I hope that the stories in this book will help those young men who are thinking about coaching or those who maybe have been in coaching for a while and are burned out and need, need, to, need to recharge their battery. Mm-hmm. Well, if Coach Cook can't recharge your battery, then maybe you ought to get a new battery. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been a blessing to write this book. Uh, in a sense, I feel that I was called to do the book. Mm-hmm. And I, this morning I, we have a tradition where there, there's a place called Goutros in rain that makes very good cinnamon rolls. And so I happen to, yeah, yeah. And and Coach only has a cinnamon roll on Sunday, after <laughs> after mass. But I took him a cinnamon roll in this morning. My wife chastised me. She said, "That's a sin. You shouldn't be doing that." He needs to be healthy because when they make a movie of this in Hollywood, <laughs> yeah. he needs to be there to make sure they tell the story right. And that one cinnamon roll could be right. it, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Jason Sikor is here with us, and I know you've been taking notes. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask? I, I do. First of all, thank you guys for being here. This is fantastic. Thanks for having um, us. Jan, you actually took my first question. Uh, but no, it was good. Um, uh, for Coach Cook, I was going to ask, uh, what's the most difficult part of coaching young athletes? And you kind of hit on that. But with that in mind, what advice would you give young athletes? Well, you know, we, we always talk about uh, – the one word that you hear the least, I think, coming from our staff is winning. You know, we, 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 we preach more to the kids about if you do the right things and you work hard, that every, it's going to take care of itself. And, uh, you know, we, don't, we, we, we really don't uh, harp on the outcome uh, of, of what it is they're trying to do because, you know, one loss doesn't. I tell our kids all the time, a winning record doesn't make you a winner. A losing record doesn't make you a loser. You know, it's how you go about doing the things that you do every day. And if you do things the right way and you work hard, obviously you're going to have a much better chance, you know, to be successful. And and that's what we always, I, I think the biggest thing is is, is pre, we, we try to preach to the kids about just just doing things right. You know, I mean, I, most most of all of them know they know right from wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, but you know, it, it's it's there's so many temptations and there's so many things that are out there to take them off the path that it's a fight to stay on it. So the the biggest thing that you know I, I try to tell them is surround themselves with good people. You know, which which I've always tried to do, and because I can remember telling the 
the superintendent of Acadia Parish, when he talked to me about taking that Crawley job when they hadn't won a game, he said, Coach, they're laughing at us. I mean, they'd, gone, they'd lost 21 straight games. And uh, he said, I know I probably can't pay you what you're making at USL, but we'll talk to the – I said, if, I said, no, if you want to help me, help me get some coaches in here. I said, because I can't do this by myself. You know, I said, we got to get some good people in here. And I tell the kids the same thing. You know, pay attention to who you associate with. And, and if you surround yourself with good guys, then you got a better chance to be a good guy than to fall off the off the path. But that's the biggest thing, I think, is just is, is work, work hard at what you do, you know, and uh, – and do the right thing, I think you'll have a chance. That, that's perfect. I love that. Because that's very much uh, focused more on the moment and the journey than the destination. Yeah. Uh, perfect. I, I love it. Uh, and then, Galen, question for you. Uh, again, from the perspective of advice for somebody who wants to become an author, um, what, what's the most difficult part of writing a book like this? Uh, I, as a young writer, my hero was a writer named Jim Murray. He was a syndicated sports columnist, won several Pulitzers. Uh, he wrote for the Los Angeles Times. Uh, he had a great sense of humor, great writing style. He had a quote, there's a story in every man. The challenge is to find it. Mm. And the problem is to tell it without putting the reader to sleep. So uh, what's the key as a writer? Find people like Coach Cook who have a great story. And that way, you, you know, there's no problem. You're going to have a story there. Now the challenge is to tell it without putting the reader to sleep. And Coach Cook has a great sense of humor. Uh, he uh, has people who he surrounded them with people who have great senses of humor. One of my uh, favorite descriptions of uh, Coach Cook was Gerald Boussard, who does color commentary on uh, on uh, for Raging Cajun yeah football. Raging oh, okay. Cajun programs yeah. and. Um, he describes Coach Cook this way. He's dark complexion. He's undersized. He's overweight. He's got droopy eyes. He looks more like an unmade bed. And he don't care. He's not there to impress you with his looks. That was one quote he gave me. And then I, he gave want, me I don't want to talk to this guy. I hate to be described. You know, well, she's got well, frizzy my wife, hair. My, my, you know. my wife one day said to me when I got up and was going around, you look like an unmade bed. <laughs> So it's it's got traction. Yeah. Okay, so this is another quote from Gerald Boussard. If you put Louie in a room with several others and said, pick out the coach and pick out the janitor, you're going to pick him out as a janitor. (laughs) And that leads to a quote of one of the Notre Dame uh, alumni. Uh, There was a meeting where the head of the school or the, the, I don't know what you call him, the priest. Chancellor. Chancellor was, uh, you know, Coach Cook, in addition to being the head football coach, was also the administrator. And I I think this particular chancellor, uh, you know, had something else in mind. I'm not sure exactly what. And this uh, alumni said, well, you could take Coach Cook and make him the janitor, and people are still going to come to Notre Dame wanting to see the janitor. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Uh, well, thank you both for being here. Uh, I don't want to—I could ask more questions, but I don't want to take away from the book. I think people need to buy mm-hmm. the book definitely before I dig into more questions. So can we plug the book one more time? It comes out in September. Is there a, a, a release date? Well, uh, Amazon.com is saying September 13, but stay tuned around the first of the month or even late August. Uh, but uh, Amazon.com, you can pre-order it. Okay. Barnes & Noble. Uh 
and then we'll be glad to come back and talk about it in the book after it comes out. Uh, the it, name of the book again? is Coach of a Lifetime, uh, the story of Lewis Cook, legendary football coach. And he is a legend, just as they say mm-hmm. in the movie. Fantastic. So everybody yeah. listening, just go pre-order the book now, and then it'll be a surprise when it shows up in the mail in well, you September. Know, you know, Jason, when you asked uh, Galen about, you know, be, being an author, and we talked about how I tell the kids about hard work, he's an example now I'm going to use now. He spent a lot of time, you know, with us over the last two years. He's been at over half of our games, you know, flies in from Tennessee and, and uh you know, so you think, you figure, you know, here's a guy away from home. He's uh, on his own schedule. He walks in. I mean, we're there every day. I mean, we're, we're right in the middle of football season where we work in Saturdays. We're working Sundays. He comes in every morning. He, he walk, he'll he drop off a cinnamon roll every night. <laughs> to me, and he goes in our in a big office sit down from mine, and we don't see him the rest of the day. I mean, he, I, I had no idea that. The, what it, how you even do write a book, you know, right? or, yeah, or what kind of, and and we're all amazed, all the coaches, uh, you know, because I'm blessed to have guys that work hard, and we go, and none of us work any harder than I saw what he did in doing this book. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to watch him work, to interview 118 people. I mean, just the time that took. Then you transcribe all those interviews, and then you decide oh, yeah. what it is you're going to use. And he said it at his with his little computer and. Uh, and then when you read what he put, I'm like, how do you how do you put that together? You know, I mean, I was a, I'm still amazed at what, at what he did, and yeah. but how the hours that he put in, and then uh, even when he went home and getting his gazebo out by the river that he lives on, and uh, to how many times did you have to uh, read it over, and uh, you know, so many you know to make correct, and then he. Send me a name. We know these Cajun names. Is this spell right? No, not, it's like this. So, yeah. but it it was. Uh, I mean, it's amazing uh, the the product that he put out, uh, but the time that that he put in to do that. Mm-hmm. Let me add. Uh, this book was two years in the making, but uh, it's been so much fun. And I remember one day. This was early on. Uh, Notre Dame has red football helmets. I went to University of Oklahoma, red football helmets. And I'm 77 years old now, and this reminded me of when I was covering University of Oklahoma football as a college student. And I remember uh, going back from being out on the field with the young kids, and the coach always talks to them at the end of practice about different things, mm-hmm. uh, about life. And I remember going back, calling my wife, and I said, you know, this has made me feel like a kid again. And I hope folks who read this book are inspired. There's some wonderful stories in there. The most powerful uh, chapter in the book, in my opinion. I like to think they're all powerful. But if there's one that stands out, it's the one titled 42. That's about Orlando Thomas, who lived to be 42, wore the number 42. Mm-hmm. His father had died at age 42. He was picked 42nd in the NFL draft the year that he went out, I think it's 1995. And Coach Cook, of course, was in effect his father. Uh, and uh, the, the story, you want to talk about race relations? What a model. Coach Cook and Orlando Thomas, a white man and a, and a black player forming this bond, this father-son bond 
that led Orlando to give him uh, the statuette Coach of a Lifetime that is now the title of this book, Coach of a Lifetime. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, guys. If, you. if there's a common theme I'm noticing in all these podcasts, and we could do a whole podcast on that, but passion and work ethic. Mm-hmm. Thinking about every podcast we've done week after week, that seems to be a common theme with your guest, Jane, is, is immense amounts of passion yeah. and work ethic for, for driving forward. Yeah. So thank you guys both for being here. This is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I think that's it. why Jan should be uh, elected mayor. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> We're not bringing politics into this. <laughs> okay, cut, cut. I do appreciate that plug, though. <laughs> so you both are men, Galen White and Louis Cook. Of, you have true grit and heart. And I'm honored to share your story. So thank you both for taking time to be with us here today. Jason, thank you so much for mixing our tape and taping us. I want to thank our listeners for being loyal supporters. You can go to our website, discoverlafayette.net. Galen, we've done over, I don't know, it might be 315 interviews now over six years. It's been a real labor of love and not labor. It's it's been a work of of, uh, joy. Thank you for being with us. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to Discover Lafayette. Thank you for tuning in. This is Jan Swift. Mm